Hi everyone and welcome to Two Words with Taku. I'm Taku Mbuzi and I am recording this podcast in sunny Melbourne. And today I am sitting with Gerard McCullough, who is the number one person I have wanted to have on this podcast all year. So this is just so bizarre and wonderful. And uh, Gerard is a, what do I say? What, actually, what do you say you, you are or you do? I sometimes still say comedian, even though my gigs are getting fewer and far between, but I don't want to become an ex-comedian. So I do still say comedian, but mainly writer or screenwriter if I want to sound a bit posh. And what kind of shows do you work on? I'm playing I'm playing dumb you're, here. You're playing the, the listener. <laughs> yeah, who, let the listener know. Who moments ago screamed, who? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, it's been mostly light entertainment for me. Um, variety sort of shows, back to Rove. Uh, skit shows more recently panel shows like Dirty Laundry Live The Project and most recently Charlie Pickering's satirical comedy show The Weekly and Tom Gleason's quiz show Hard Quiz and then a whole bunch of other bits and pieces in between oh this is so cool oh my gosh um, so yeah listeners if you're just tuning in uh, my podcast is all about writing and I talk about um, yeah all the things that I'm learning and the things that I want to do with my stories and one of the things I've been doing is exploring stand-up and then looking at how I can take some of my stories and put them on screen so when I moved from Perth to Melbourne I kind of was looking around like who's doing what I want to do and because I met Charlie four years ago on the project um, I was like oh what's Charlie doing oh he's got this show and I've watched it and then I started learning about the process of screenwriting and you know writers rooms and that the person you see on the stage isn't always the person writing the stuff so I was like hmm so who writes for Charlie and then it was you so it was on your website Gerard um, reading everything and like looking at everything and going right that's the person I need to find or just sit with and um, I didn't want to follow you or Charlie on Twitter because I thought it would be so uncool because I just like, oh, not yet. I don't want to be like, oh, and then I didn't want to just rock up to the studio either. So don't you understand? We're all desperate for followers. Really? I think I think deep down inside we all are. Oh, OK. Never hurts to find someone else has followed you. Yeah, okay. Well, I definitely will after here. Um, okay, so listeners, look, I could waffle on, but I won't. There is going to be structure to this episode because I have so many questions for um, Gerard. And so I'm going to speak around five main things. So we're going to talk about stand-up. We're going to talk about sketch and skit shows. And then satire. And then screenwriting in general. And then some other random questions. And if you are a word junkie like me, you will have noticed the alliteration, obviously. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, just being a bit uh, cheeky there. So, Gerard, how did you start in stand-up? Well, the long story, which you can cut out of at will, is uh, I started, I loved watching stand-ups on television back when I was a kid. And particularly, there was a show called Hey Hey It's Saturday which my family would always watch like most other Australian families at the time. And it was, the stand-ups were always my favourite part. And I also grew up with Dad owning a couple of old BBC records from uh, people like The Goon Show. Mm -hmm. And there was another BBC show called I'm Sorry, I'll Read That Again, which included The Goodies and John Cleese and some really funny writing there. So I would listen to Dad's records and we'd watch stand-ups on TV. And there was a point where my brother and I started just trying... I've got two brothers, but it was one in particular, mainly the middle one, and I would try 
the I'm the oldest, by the way, and the shortest. But we would just <laughs> we would try jokes on each other, try to make each other laugh with stand up style jokes. And there was a point where I started writing them down. And it's funny, I I didn't really think I would be a stand up comedian. I just thought these were funny jokes, and I wanted to write them down mainly because I was already a bit of a writing kid and a bit of a someone who hoarded everything. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, so fast forward to uni and a friend of mine would go busking we would just sing songs in front of the tennis at summer uh, during summer and there was a sign on our uni campus and it said hey do you busk if so go and see this guy at the student union and he said what do you do and I said we just sing normal kind of busker songs a bit of crowded house a bit of the kinks whatever and then uh, and for some reason I just sort of said I've sometimes thought comedy would be good, but we haven't really done any of that yet. And he said, there's a comedy night coming up. Why don't you get up and do five minutes and we'll give, we'll call that your first gig and give you a free feed. Oh, and sweet. so I did that. I went home and I, I practiced and I called myself a silly name. So my friends didn't know I was going to be on that night. And, um, <laughs> and my five minutes quickly turned into about 25 and I learned the value of keeping your bit short when you get up on stage. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that went quite well, you know, for a first gig, a few laughs in the room before the professionals came on. And then a couple of months later, there was a, com- a campus comedy competition. So uh, the same guy called me into his office and said, congratulations, you are our entrant in the campus comedy competition. Oh, he didn't even ask you? you no, just, we didn't have an audition or anything. No, not really. Yeah. He just said, okay. guess what? You're yeah, doing this. You're in. Mm-hmm. And then um, that was at the SP, the oldest one art hotel in St Kilda, which was a, a big comedy hub at the time. And I managed to win that. And from there I met more stand-ups and they told me where the other pubs were in the, around the town. And I just drifted into it. Like, it was yeah. basically a dare. I mean, I, it was a dare that appealed to something that my brother and I had been cooking up for a while. My brother, by the way, never really ventured into performing stand-up comedy except one festival show. He did make a cameo appearance in my show. But... Um, yeah, it was, and it's funny. It took me about twenty years before I went. This is actually a career now. I did finish. Wait, twen- I, you did it for twenty years. Yeah, it's been more than that now. But it's so I was studying quite a serious degree at uni, and it took me twenty years before I realised no one's ever going to employ me for my uni degree anymore. It's Which far was, too. Sorry, old. I'm curious. It was a Bachelor of Arts, Bachelor of Commerce, majoring in Economics and Arabic Language. Oh yes, the Arabic. I do remember you. It came up when mm-hmm. we met. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. So. Um, yeah, so I, I realised that if I don't keep making this comedy work, I won't be able to pay my bills. <laughs> the Arabic is very rusty, I'm, I'm afraid to say. That's okay. But, I don't speak yeah. it, so I won't ask you to speak any. But, okay, then. <laughs> um, okay, so what? when was your last stand-up gig? Or what, what's, uh, my what last of... one, a couple of months ago, I do. there's a room called Political Asylum in Brunswick, which oh, is a monthly yeah. room. and they, It's basically, it's not necessarily political, but it's satirical and topical and, um, and good fun. And that's, that's a room that I've played at fairly regularly, partly because I've been involved and partly because that's the one room that occasionally gets onto me and says, hey, come and do another spot. Uh, okay. uh, I do need to, I've, I've enjoyed a bit of a break this year. Basically, I've... When I get so busy in TV land, I can't do the stand-up justice. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't like going up on stage half prepared. Yeah, oh there gosh. would be people who have seen that happen, and um, they would know mm-hmm. as much as I would know. Mm-hmm. It should never happen. So, yeah. 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 So if I can't really do it justice, then um, I tend to drop out for a little while. But it's time. I'm getting the itch again. I've gone and checked out some of the local rooms, and I'll start hassling some promoters soon. Get back up there, even just yeah. for fun, for five minutes, just yeah. for to keep my hand in. So when you're writing stand-up comedy, how do you, what's your actual process? Like from how do you, yeah, how does it go from either lived experience or thought to on stage? Do you write it? Do you just, I don't know. 
Yeah, there's. What I think that, there are two. I approach it from two completely different directions at the same time. And one is, I do just keep a notebook. One, there's an electronic version on my phone, and there's yeah. a literal notebook that I sometimes have with me. And any idea that I think might have potential goes into the the notebook, and I just return to it now and then and see if I can work it up into a into a routine. Mm-hmm. But then there are other times I sort of start in the other direction and sort of uh, I think of the concept of a routine. Uh, particularly if it's on a certain topic or if wow, there's a certain thing I want to say really? and then I, I treat that as a kind of a brief from a from a someone higher above me and try to write the routine that fits the the theme or the routine that makes the point and that's particularly when it comes to the satirical writing rather than just the kind of this the stories from my life and the stupid jokes which I do some of as well but yeah when mm-hmm. I'm when I'm writing sometimes the the uh, political asylum room puts on shows with a particular theme like it's oh, okay. it's about the election or it's about yeah. trump or that sort of thing and that's great because i like having direction to write for yeah. so that's when i'll sit down and say okay what do i want to say mm-hmm. how do i make that work into a routine okay. and then the jokes have to come or else i don't have a routine yeah oh gosh and are you at a point now where you just trust your jokes are good enough or how yeah when you get on stage do you make yourself laugh or are you um, do you have the audience in mind? I mean, everybody's kind of different. So yeah, yeah like for you, what it's an interesting question at this part of my career because uh, I do. I am at the point where most of the time I trust that either the jokes themselves are funny because I, I bring that kind of experience in judgment to it, or that if it turns out it almost then, feels like you need to snap a finger. I bring that experience twenty <laughs> years a, plus. Sorry, yes. I don't, <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm allowed to snap my finger. Isn't that cultural appropriation or something no. now? I get oh, in trouble no, if I do can't. that. Oh, yeah, you can't. Yeah, you can wow, do it on my phone. That was very <laughs> so Actually, you can, yeah. You can cut that video out of that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so let me... I can go back and start Sorry. answering the question No, no, again. no, no, no. No, uh, we're not cutting anything out. This is it. Okay, then. No filter. <laughs> don't, hold, don't hold back. I've exposed the man behind the curtain. Yeah, but So anyway, but uh, so most of the time I trust the jokes or I trust that if the, if the jokes don't work that I'll have the impro skills to kind of still find a way out of it, make the audience laugh and move on. But what I'm still trying to work out even now at this point in my career is exactly what my persona is on stage and what is my voice. Mm -hmm. And in fact, even what do the audience see when this strange little possibly middle-aged man walks onto the stage with a a big CV but no recognition in the room? Like, who am I? and What is it that I'm up there to tell them? And that's that's something that I'm still playing with is exactly, okay, I have things I want to say, but how best can I meet the audience's expectations in a way that surprises them particularly if i'm playing to sort of young people now which i often yeah. am i'm playing to people who could be 20 years younger than me yeah, yeah. that's quite a, a, a gap that i need to to bridge and yeah. it's a bit different if i was on tv they'd be like there's that guy from the tv mm-hmm. but i'm not mm-hmm. i'm like here's a here's some guy i've never heard of <laughs> why does he want to rant to me about donald trump or yeah so but do you think people care though i don't think people care like if it's a comedy night and you're just going isn't that part of the surprise and the whatever yeah absolutely just i don't i don't think people care to be honest what you but you're like. saying from your point of view you kind of want to have something that you yeah from you the point will... of view of the performance and the theatricality i think mm-hmm. i i've never really been i've always been because i was a writer first i was always a guy who got up and delivered the jokes that i'd written mm-hmm. and i think i've always been a bit secondary about how do I use my physicality? How do I use the space? What do I do with the microphone? Which is yeah. actually a really crucial part of being a stand-up. Yes. And uh, it, it's funny that I think nearly every stand-up 
comes from one direction or the other. It's someone who has the physicality, but the jokes are second rate or vice versa. Mm -hmm. And it takes you a while to put the two together. And I'm actually still at a stage of getting that physicality right. That is so awesome hearing that. I feel like I get you. I get what you are saying. Because that I'm probably the other side where on stage like that mic is mine but then now it's like how do I make those jokes land so the feedback yeah. I keep getting is that you know I'm a storyteller so it's like you know the beats of my my jokes or like when they land it's like oh okay <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah great um so I find people more laugh at the performance of me reacting to people you know yeah give me a side eye or whatever so that balance is <laughs> and there is quite nothing a, wrong with that like i mean know. it's whatever works for you to make the audience laugh yeah like I, I don't mean that you should necessarily lower yourself to their expectations <laughs> if that's what they want but but you know as long as you can find a way to make whatever works for you also work for the audience then you're well on the way I th- yeah well that's what i was asking you about um whether your stuff makes you laugh because when i'm on stage my jokes make me laugh so then i always <laughs> i almost feel like oh well if they don't laugh it's okay i'm laughing and then i seem to find that that kind of works but i'm not sure that's a reliable yeah, it's, it's <laughs> funny i think early on i can get caught if i've written a joke that hasn't been told too many times i can find myself giggling at the joke but what i have a real bugbear for when I see comedians laughing at their own joke and you know they've told the joke 30 <laughs> times, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. You cannot okay, no. seriously yeah. still be laughing yeah. at that joke. It's possible you can be surprised by the audience's reaction, mm. but when the audience reacts every time they tell the same joke, yeah, I'm just no, like, see that, I can't do I that. Know, and I don't repeat it. sets, I find it really hard to repeat sets. So, normally, mm. if I have a show or a gig, I will write something fresh. And then, unless I know it really, really works, like this, um, I have this ghost story from Airbnb, another story. Wow. But, um, that always works so I'll, I'll tell it but for me like you said it's a it's a new experience every time i tell it so that is funny but yeah i know what you mean about people laughing at their own jokes but then they're actually not funny that's right it's so also it quite possible that words can pop out of your mouth in a completely new way in a mm-hmm. way that you didn't even realize you were going to say you can yeah. just find the perfect phrasing in the moment yeah and that's completely allowable to laugh in that moment because if it's really funny, you probably will make yourself laugh. Yeah, well, yeah. that's what you want. You want to have fun. Otherwise, oh my yeah, gosh, right. it will kill you. Especially when you're telling stories. If you're a storytelling style, then it's you're less likely to be married to a script. Mm-hmm. And you're more likely to be speaking more naturally Yeah, in a way that you would. And when you don't tell a story the same way every time you speak to a different person in real life. So why would you do it on stage? Yeah, good point. Yeah. Um... What about who are your favorite stand-up comedians? Who would you who do you pay money for? Do you pay? Yeah. Do you, oh, there's would, a good question. Yeah. Who was the last person I paid my? I was going to buy a ticket to Hannah Gadsby's show that everyone was yeah, raving about. The festival, I know, and I've missed out. I know, me too. And I, I just can't bring myself to. I actually really hassle like her. people and say, slip me a comp. <laughs> no, so, you should. Why wouldn't you? I, I just. I, I, I would really struggle to do that. Or can't you get somebody else to do it for you? I probably could. Yeah. yeah. Really? I might do it. Really? You? you? Do it? <laughs> oh, my God. I'm the last person who could do it. No, you should just... Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I might put in a call. We'll yeah, see how we yeah, go. I do yeah. work with Hannah, so she probably you wouldn't mind. You work with her, then yeah, of course. Yeah, I'll shame her through this podcast. Yeah, man. It wouldn't be her. It'd be her people. But anyway, so uh, I've heard that's wonderful. So mm-hmm. if I just... If I hear that a show is doing great at a festival and there's I actually I don't really like begging for comps if 
someone is selling out. I don't want to cheat them yeah. of the sale. So yeah. um, I would do that. But in terms of my influences, I grew up loving people like Emo Phillips, who's a very surreal American comedian. Um, this is controversial now, but Woody Allen's uh, early material, before he mm-hmm. sort of became the film director, he was mm-hmm. a really funny stand-up. And okay. I, I grew up listening to a lot of his stand-up, so that was a big influence. Uh, Stephen Wright is an American comedian mm-hmm. who is um, full of deadpan one-liners. That was his thing. And to a lesser extent, uh, well, actually, no, not to a lesser extent. I loved Elliot Goblet, who was the, the local Melbourne deadpan one-liner comedian who would appear on Hey Hey It's Saturday a lot. Okay. Well, that was before I moved here, but I know of the show, but I don't know this person. Yeah, right. Yeah. So he does okay. pop up every now and then, Elliot. Oh, so, so he's still alive. He's still, yeah, he's still, okay, he's still going. He's still with us. Uh, yeah. He doesn't really play the traps, but every now he sort of does the corporate circuit now. So oh, these are... Is, oh, is that is that the end of the road, doing the corporate circuit? No, that probably means you, you've you got a mortgage and you're paying the rent and, yeah, and you're doing all right for yourself. <laughs> yeah, actually, good point. So, good yeah. point. If you've got a good agent, yes. Good yeah, point. that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, okay. um, but what those people all have in—they're they're the people I was listening to. Um, I should say I don't want anyone to think I only listen to male comedians too. I loved um, Paula Poundstone and Rita Radner. There were a whole bunch of other comedians. A lot of them used to be played on a tr- show on Triple R called The Cheese Shop, which was a legendary comedy show run by a guy called Dave Taranto, who we lost to cancer a number of years ago. But um, all these comedians who who appeal to me—they're all very well-written jokes they're very mm. well-structured jokes they're often written in a way that surprises you at the last minute which all good jokes should but yeah. they don't tend to be kind of ongoing routines storytelling they tend to be one-liners or mm-hmm. set up punchline kind of jokes so that was very much the influences that got me into comedy now that was that was the kind of comedy I was doing when I started out but um it's funny now that you say who's I, I couldn't tell you who I'm into now as a stand-up. I kind of, I love watching Is it because you just work with so many of them? There's a little well. bit. It's become my, it's like, I guess when it becomes your job, you yeah. stop to take, a, you, you forget to take an interest or yeah. <laughs> an active interest in things. Yeah. But I do really enjoy getting around seeing some of the the people who are coming up through the ranks. I like yeah. seeing the show. Every year there's a, um, a an award called the Golden Gibbos, which at the Melbourne Comedy Festival, which is an award for independent completely independent and, and quite new ideas and I must declare my interest that I'm on the committee of the organisation that runs <laughs> it but I do love trying to catch at least a couple of those nominations in a year just yeah. because they're always sometimes they're ridiculously stupid you'll never see them again but other times it's the beginning of someone doing fantastic stuff yeah, yeah. so uh, yeah I do I do try to keep um, uh, abreast of what's coming through Anne Edmonds lately I have to say Anne Edmonds for the last couple of years was someone who particularly um has been making me laugh a lot around the traps she's just had the abc show edge of the bush on on a wednesday night which has edge been great to bush. see no i'm gonna look that up I sh- okay no i won't start reading i'll get distracted oh. <laughs> i'll listen back and then i'll put links and stuff okay yeah. um lawrence mooney i'll always cause i love to his watch. face um there's i oh, saw, I saw so he walked expressive. into a cafe uh maybe two weeks ago yeah and i just put my sandwich down and i looked at him and he knew i knew who he was but I, I just was like <laughs> I'm not going to do the fangirl thing again yep. was, he is funny he is funny and what's great about Lawrence is he has a real knack for being able to tweak his material for the audience so he will if he's playing a footy club or a kind of a quite what we might dare call a bogan room he's got mm-hmm. great bogan material yeah. but he's also capable of doing some of the most biting political or social mm. satire that I've ever seen delivered on a stage mm-hmm. and that's what I love watching yeah 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 especially if, if people can be so versatile then that is more interesting because then you're just like well 
you can mix it up when you don't know what to expect. Yeah, that's so right. So do you ever watch lots of stand-up and then feel like it's all starting to sound the same? Uh, yes, I do. And I haven't seen enough of the room, local rooms lately. I've, um, unfortunately, I haven't been able to get to too many this year, this calendar year. But in recent years, just being around the comedy scene, I have to say I got a little bit sick of seeing young blokes talk about how bad they are at life, can't get a girl. And I was there was a point where I was just thinking... I want to get up on stage just to be a point of difference. I just don't... I wouldn't just be another young bloke talking about how bad life is. Mm-hmm. And what? And it's... By the way, I have to say, some of those young blokes are very funny and do very funny stand-up. There just seem to be so it's many this, of them yeah, at the time. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's come from the fact that stand-up does attract a lot of young men, particularly in their 20s, and they're going to talk about what their lives are like. And because mm-hmm. of the way that old people have screwed us all over, their lives are going to be shit. But... Um, yeah. um, it was there would just seem to be such a, um, a a style there for a while that you just couldn't get away from. I think it, I think people perhaps diversified a bit now, but also the other thing that I really miss on in the live scene is real satire. I don't see mm-hmm. too many people outside of the designated rooms. There's no one getting up at a normal. I shouldn't say no one, but it's Do you not think so are rare. Scared though. Uh, or... no. For some reason, I think it's what not something it? people are maybe attracted to. Right? Maybe mm-hmm. people don't want to be seen to be lecturing or hectoring it's funny there are mm-hmm. there are plenty of um comedians and i have to say particularly female comedians who do actually do satire in another way which is the, the stories they tell about their experiences do actually point to things that are wrong in society yeah but there's no one being or there, again i shouldn't say no one there are very few who are just actually getting out there and making you angry about the world making mm-hmm. you want to start the revolution mm-hmm. i'm a bit you know i'm a bit sick of hearing how you can't open a pack of cheetos or whatever <laughs> like why why is no one talking about big issues anymore on stage yeah some yeah. of the um some of the greatest stand-up bits i've seen have been people mm-hmm. railing against society there are mm-hmm. plenty of comedians who will tell you they love bill hicks yeah. But where's our Bill Hicks at the moment? Yeah. There aren't good, too good many point, out there. Good point. And, and it's funny you say that about hearing similar kind of themes and, um, yeah, watching the same kind of stories come up. Because even for me, I mean, the stand-up world is new to me. I've only been doing it a year and a bit, maybe two years now. And, yeah, I found when I go to the rooms where it's open mics or just, you know, like the amateur level stuff the, the girls are saying the same stuff it's like all vagina jokes and <laughs> you know and like you said you know i can't open the jam jar and after all, i was like well but but yeah i don't know and some of it is really crude so that's always surprised me as well as like mm. how how crude some of the ladies go and then it's not funny sometimes yeah. so it's like I, a real there's a real wit like you said the clever writing you can still say stuff yeah that's right i that's, also think crude not to I don't mean to take you on, but crude no. can be very funny when it's well written. Mm. Sometimes it can be it can be a re- replacement for the humour, but crude can be hilarious. Mike <laughs> Wilmot is a perfect example. He's someone I've really enjoyed seeing in the last I don't know ten years or so. How long, however long he's been coming to the Melbourne Comedy Festival, mm-hmm. Mike Wilmot is filthy and hilarious. And, it's, and I think yeah, it's I think... equally great when it comes from a female mouth too. I have to say, but again, maybe the ones that I've seen, I have maybe. I... Hmm. If they're just starting I think out, it's, it can yeah, take a while when, to balance that fine line. Yeah, I think, and th- I think that's what it is because sometimes it's when it's not delivered okay. Yeah. Because then I watch stuff like the Deaf Comedy Jam, which is, you know, sometimes they say quite blue stuff and yeah. it's inappropriate, but the way they do it, it's like I can, I get it, I understand it. Whereas sometimes I've been in rooms and I've gone, mm, no, it's it's just 
it feels too crude because maybe it's not funny. I don't yeah. know. But anyways. Or maybe I'm a bit of a prude in some <laughs> Maybe I'll say that. Um, okay, well, what else do I want to ask you about stand-up? I think, I think that's it for now on that topic. We may come back to it. Can I add one thing? Yes. I just fucked. I can't open a packet of Cheetos out of thin air. If that's any actual comedian's routine, I haven't heard it. <laughs> I don't want anyone to get okay, paranoid. Okay, you had that disclaimer, guys. Yeah, um, yeah. sue him. Uh, let's move on to sketch and skit stuff. Yes. So, um, when I was researching, you know, questions, I started looking at, you know, Wikipedia writes all the shows down, and then oh, this was born out of this show, and then I was like, oh yeah, that show. I remember that show, and. So a lot of these sort of skit house and, you know, Comedy Inc. and all of those kind of rove shows, um, they were really big when I first got to Australia. And um, I remember some of them, yeah, killed me. Like, I just landed here. I was like, these people are actually funny. But I remember quite a lot of my friends didn't get it. They're yeah. like, I didn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, you know, on the flip side, I grew up. I actually grew up watching things like Fast Forward and stuff back in Zim. And oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So I knew I knew of the comedy people, even the Effie show. What's the Effie show with the big head? Like oh, yeah. The, Acropolis Now? Yeah, Acropolis Now. Um, you know, That's... I'm actually surprised how much Australian TV and comedy I grew up watching. Yeah, I had heard certainly that it got to Europe and America, but that I hadn't yeah. realized. I, I'm... I think it's wonderful that Acropolis now is being watched by people in Zimbabwe. Oh, like I, I, I knew it. So, so yeah, then I get here and um, I was dating a guy at the time who was very Australian. So he, yeah. he used to rattle off all these names. Oh, you, know, you need to watch Hey Hey, it's Saturday. Like that's epic. And then the degeneration, all the stuff, which I, I didn't know, which now obviously, you know, having been here 15 plus years, I understand that, you know, these are like iconic shows that people just no right so how did you get from being on stage writing stand-up to then being in these sketch comedy shows yep uh dave o'neill is the answer to that oh dave o'neill oh i want to say something oh, he lives in my hood or he's, <laughs> does he's he? i think so he he does the pub he does uh, he lives um or yeah, he does okay he does the pub the pub comedy house comedy night thing yeah he does uh friday uh, no it's not friday but the Wednesday. fun house yeah. at fairfield on wednesday nights yep that's, that's right yeah so dave was a very he was very good at spotting the stand-ups who were coming through the ranks who could really sort of write a joke as getting back to what we were talking about summer writers and summer performers mm-hmm. and at the time fast forward was a big sorry it was full frontal by then fast forward oh, yeah. had finished up and fast forward <laughs> kind of handed the torch on to full frontal which it's full frontal started out as mostly being young comedians but over the course of its time it ended up being largely comic actors but with comedians writing for them in the writer's room so wait stop yep comic actors as opposed so to, they're not necessarily comedians themselves. They're not they're sort just, of stand-up comedians is what uh, I mean. You know, okay, they're, okay, they're yeah, yeah. funny they're performers. They're just funny, yeah. Funny. There are some people who are just really yeah, funny performers, yeah, but true. they're not necessarily writers as such. So yeah. they're not they're not necessarily comedians in, in, in terms of stand-up comedy anyway. Yeah. So yeah, uh, so Dave used to occasionally say tap a few of us on the shoulder and say, you should send some sketches off to fast forward, or, sorry again, full frontal and... And it might get, you know, you might get yourself a job. So that's what I did. And the first time I did it, I got a, a polite, we've got a full team, but thanks for the, for the reckon, you know, thanks for sending your stuff in. Um, and then when Eric Banner left Full Frontal, the first thing he did before he got his own show was he had like a one-off, one-hour special. Uh, I think it was just called Eric. And they asked me to write for that. So I wrote wow. for, that was my first ever job in television at the end of 
I'm dating myself here, end of 1996, I think it must have been. And yeah, managed to get a few sketches but onto that what, show, a few ideas. Was that epic or was that epic? Oh, it was amazing. Like, I that's mean, a, for that's me, a big deal. Yeah, and I was still at uni at this point, and I was still just doing my little uni degree out in the burbs. And then I would come into the big production house office and sit into in this room. And Eric Banner, who was a huge star, was sitting at the other end of the table. It was so exciting. That is amazing. And there were other people in the room who I knew, but I still I was almost literally a little kid, yeah. just thinking. This is incredible. I love TV just pretty much from the, from yeah. the word go. And then luckily the next year there was a, a small opening in the, the writer's room for Full Frontal. So I managed to get in there and, and acquitted myself well. Wow. And then at the end of that year they axed Full Frontal at Channel 7. So I guess that was me. Yeah. And then Channel 10 picked it up for a couple more years of, and they called it Totally Full Frontal. Um, I don't think the quality was quite up to scratch the entire time but mm-hmm. managed to were you still on you were on that store yeah I, was on, I still worked yeah. on totally full front of yeah that's right and um and managed to appear on screen that was the height of my television my my, my on air television fame yeah. but uh mostly dressed up as other people on television so no one recognizes me anymore mm-hmm. so yeah and and it was a couple of years after that that my, one of my stand-up friends called rove had got himself a show and I didn't start with him at Channel 9, but not long after he moved to Channel 10, I sort of came on board. And, and at the time they were saying, look, there's, there's maybe another 13 weeks in this and then they're probably going to finish it off. Yeah. And I was planning to go to the UK and be a backpacker for two years at that point because it was that time of life. And I went, okay, I'll stick around for 13 weeks. And I never got to the UK to do Are my two serious? years backpacking because the show took off and I wow. stayed, stayed here with it. So. Uh, I've been to the UK, but just not to do two years of backpacking and pulling beers, which might be for the best in the long run. But yeah, so I mean, that Rove was amazing. I was sort of, maybe we're moving into another subsection there, but... um, No, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I I don't even need to, I mean... Well, Rove had plenty of sketches too. And one of the challenges at Rove was, this is going to have people tearing off their ears in disgust at the commercialism, but one of the deals of writing for that job was Toyota, you know, we've got this deal with Toyota. We have to, we can write a... 30 second ad with insert celebrity here but it's got to plug the show it's got to plug the car at the end of it Mm -hmm. and giving it was actually like being a copywriter giving those commercial committees considerations how can we you know we want to work with this celebrity just for fun that might be some big international star or something but at the end we have to plug the movie or we have to plug this or that how do you get the plug in and still make it a funny segment to watch so um i mean it's i i know exactly how Terrible that sounds, but um, I I but really enjoy that is, kind of writing. Isn't it? It is what it is, though. Yeah, and I was it, paying my rent in Detroit yeah, by then, so well, I, was, I needed it. <laughs> but even if you think about it, it it makes sense if that's where the eyes are. Like, what's the best way to kind of make it work for everybody? So, yeah, I mean, right. were you happy with the way the pieces would come up? Oh, generally speaking, yeah. Okay, we're, so we, I, I'm really happy. You don't feel like you were a whole lot of stuff. No, not in a big way. Maybe these days, I've, I've become a little bit more ethically inclined lately. Maybe I would look back on those days and go, oh, did I really write a sketch for those people? But, um, I mean, the culmination of that was a show I did at um, Channel 10, which was an Australia Day special. And it was a debate and it was um, it was like hosted by a comedian with three comedians either side. Big names like Charlie Pickett oh, was involved. Oh, wait, Tom how long Gleason. ago was this? I remember there was a... Oh, my, or they, three or four years ago? Yeah, I remember a debate show. Or but, they do them quite a bit. Yeah, well, the debates are regular, but this was a one-off special. And it was entirely, uh, basically, it was paid product for Meat and Livestock Australia. But, so, <laughs> and it's really? funny, it was a time where I was starting to think, 
I don't know if I need to be a meat eater, but I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I was still eating meat at the time, so why would I not accept their dollar <laughs> to make what actually what amounted to be a really funny comedy debate, to be honest. I'd, I'd stand by that as a, in terms yeah. of the product that, that came out of it. It was pretty funny. So, yeah, you know, you, you'd end up sometimes getting involved with these kind of deals, but I don't want anyone for a moment to think that I'm not all about the art. Yeah, <laughs> so, no, no, no. So, yeah, I to get back on track again, yeah. So I was in Rove, which like, I was in the Rove show for a... Well, gee, what must have been eight, nine years? And just because that company grew, that's when we ended up doing Skit House, which I wrote mm-hmm. a little bit for. That was sort of a side job. I worked on Before the Game, which was the football panel show. Mm-hmm. I worked on A Smarter Than a Fifth Grader, which I was the that kids. Show. That was a really fun quiz that show. Was, yeah, yeah, that was a good show. It was great. Because I didn't feel smart sometimes. <laughs> I, I really. Those kids yeah. were very smart. They were smarter than me. Yeah. Yes. And then, um, uh, uh, what was the other? Oh, the other fun thing we used to do was. Rove would host the ARIA Awards. So we would write a big, we'd, essentially we would produce the big music award show every year yeah. in Sydney. And that was huge fun. And so that's a whole lot of different varieties of writing that have helped out along the way. I, I mean, I just love how versatile it's become because, I mean, you started writing jokes and now even looking at, you know, your writery stuff on your website, it's like you just write so much. And I think once you know how to write, you can't not write in certain or different ways. Yeah, because I think I'm finding that as well. I think like so. Yeah, you, you can you can apply the skills you learn in one field to mm-hmm. learn in another field. Mm-hmm. And in fact, once you become, I guess you'd call that a light entertainment writer. But some of the skills, maybe it wasn't quite rove where I learned this, but certainly when I moved on to the project, when you there's something called links, and it's when you're writing a host for a, a, it might not be a comedy show, but it would be a TV show being hosted by somebody. Mm-hmm. and you need to find six different ways to throw to a break and say stick around there's more coming up you need to find six different ways of saying that there's six different ways of welcoming someone back after the break yeah. you have to do all the basically it's directing traffic here comes this guest please yeah. thank that guest that's quite dull writing in terms of a creative brief but it's the sort of thing that will get you employed yeah. if you live in a town like melbourne or sydney yeah these are little skills that once people come to know that you can do that kind of writing, then the phone oh. will, the phone might not keep ringing, but you know, there's a good chance that you might, someone has to write all those little boring interstitial bits that happen on the TV. Someone wrote that. So hashtag someone wrote that as the Australian Writers Guild would like us to tweet. Yes. Made in Australia. Made, make it Australian. Make it Australian. Make it Australian. Yeah, that's right. Um, I love that little gem you've just said because we take it for granted that you, yeah, you should mix things up. And I find even here on the podcast, sometimes I say the kind of samey stuff, but then maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> Challenge maybe. accepted. Yeah, that's right. You have to find different ways to do Different it. ways. You know, I think so. I mean, I do things like maybe I'll start with a song or I'll start with something else, but it's normally the samey. Nah, challenge accepted. Um, okay, so going back to uh, the format of sketch yeah. and sketch comedy, it really fascinates me because in, um, in school I used to do a lot of drama and improv and I always loved playing these crazy, wacky characters. And... Um, I like how you said something about comic actors and comedians and writers and almost you've separated them in my mind in an interesting way because I have sometimes ideas or jokes that I want. I can see them, but I don't think I can perform them Yeah. Um, because I might not be able to do a full Australian accent, for example. Mm-hmm. So I like that. Oh, maybe I don't have to do that. Yeah, you don't. You know, that's something you can gift onto somebody else who that is their gift. That's and right. 
You know, I have to say, a lot of actors will tell you they do comedy, but for a lot of actors, I think doing comedy means being big and being over the top and being really hammy. Mm-hmm. A good. Oh, sorry, I just thumped the table um, because I'm getting passionate. But a, a good comic actor also appreciates subtlety, mm-hmm. and, and it's very important that if you if you're, if you're working with actors that they understand that those nuances of comedy. And yeah. comedy isn't all about gesticulating wildly and no. rolling your eyes. Yeah. That comedy can be very quiet and even sad. And timing. Timing. Oh, timing and... is so crucial, of course. Oh, yeah. I, I love that. Uh, because even with this podcast, this is the podcast at the moment, but it's actually a concept that I'd like to see on screen. But part of it mixing stand-up, maybe some sketch stuff. and yeah. I mean, it's still like a faraway idea. But right now I'm starting to think about the kinds of things that I would like to play out and kind of going well i don't think that would be my role i can't do everything so then i you know have to look for people like this so even just the little things that you're saying i'm kind of hearing things and going oh okay that changes yeah maybe where i look and you know how i listen and also yeah being more open to to people who are unexpected as well because i think that is the magic of you know collaboration yeah collaboration like i mean i'll segue into how we met at this animation workshop and you know we were there to learn about writing for kids funny stuff for kids or animation on screen and um we sat in a room with what six or seven of us and came up with this kids show Mm -hmm. but i loved it so much like i was supposed to go out that night but my brain was full i went (laughs) i just need to i mean this magic what do i do with it it's very inspiring wasn't it my gosh and we were given just uh for the, for those who weren't the seven yes. people in the room we yes. were given the brief come up with an animation series set at the great barrier reef and that was it that was the challenge yeah and eight strangers sat in a room and came up with a show that i was really proud of by <laughs> I the end of the day. Loved it. I, i'd like to think everyone chipped in everyone had their say yeah, we everybody sort of, did. we um talked it around and and came up with a, some characters that we really liked and and what the, the takeaway for me is I'm always thinking, oh, I, I, I want to write a, a comedy drama, but I don't have time, or I want to write a novel and I don't have time. What I did that week was I said, I'm going to this thing on Saturday. And by the end of that day, we collectively had this pitch. Something. So yeah. maybe you just put a day aside. That's your yeah. writing day. Yeah. You might find you have the time after all. You do. You make you the time. You have to make it for yourself and yeah. not feel guilty about it, which is the other thing that I think writers can often get is, oh, I know I have to have the dishes done or I have to have everything perfect in the house before I do my writing, yeah. which is a bit of a state that I'm in at the moment. But no, maybe you can let everything else go for a little while and at least for a day yeah. and have a writing day. If, if mm-hmm. you know, and you never know what you might find at the end of it. And you mingle with other people who just spark a little bit of that mojo that you need for the next step or the next bit. Yeah, that's because, right. Um, yeah, just from, from that day, it just changed a lot of my ideas completely upside down, mm-hmm. left squonk, and I was telling everybody... And yeah, I definitely, I know that I need to sit with more writers with yeah. my ideas because I've been working on them like by myself. And then um, with the radio play, I might have my actors there and, you know, they might throw some things in, but they're just the actors and they're just saying they're in for those characters versus when you give something to another writer and go, okay, what do you think about this? Yeah. Um, so Carrie's been reading some of my stories for kids and she's like, oh yeah, I wouldn't say this or like, you know, and it's, it's really confronting and refreshing. Yeah. So again, that's why this podcast, you know, is such a joy right now because I know I, I don't know a lot of stuff, but then you sit with people and 
that's where you kind of go, oh, I don't think about that. Or, yeah, and you know, what I've found is that you don't have to be running a podcast for people to have chats with you. It's yeah, people are generally friendly, happy enough to have a coffee or have a drink with you one day. And if it, if it's someone that you admire or that you want advice for, you're actually allowed to call up and ask. You know, maybe yeah. you wouldn't go straight for you know Russell Crowe, but you would. <laughs> If there's someone within <laughs> yeah. your orbit who you admire, yeah. it, there's no harming saying, can I buy you a drink and ask you a few things. Yeah. No, I'm definitely learning that. I think it was harder in Perth. I did find it harder in Perth. Whereas yeah. here, I think that is part of the surprise of it as well, how open and friendly everyone is. So even it's like when I saw you on that, on that day, I was like, oh, how am I going to ask him or tell him? Because I kept, like, it just felt like it's, oh, these people are busy, you know, they're doing their thing, like, they don't know who I am, like, how am I gonna, you know, but it happens so organically, which is then what's fun, it's like, okay, trusting that, oh, yeah, if you actually have a joint passion, or you actually have something that you can relate to, yeah, then you don't care that they've been on TV, you're actually asking them, like, seriously, so what pen do you use <laughs> when you're writing, and it changes everything, because then they're, they're equally interested, yeah, you know. Yeah, actually, what 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 kind of stationery do you use? Are you a moleskin kind of person? Oh, uh, if I could, I've got a lovely my my parents in law one Christmas gave me a lovely actual like pen and ink old school stylus, oh, and, like which cool I haven't thing. I haven't written with it yet, and I really want to get to it. And it's got little wax stamps so that I can oh, I can write a letter and put it in an envelope and then seal it with my wax stamp, and that would be great. That's not how I write. <laughs> I mostly write on the computer. Oh, okay. um, I would say that. Quite often when I'm creative writing, I like writing in pencil for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm uh, Partly because I'm, I've started to realise these disposable plastic pens are going to be around for thousands of years and my writing's not going to be worth that much of a damage to the environment. Whereas pencils are a lot friendlier. Wow, so it's a sustainable decision. So it's, yeah, sustainable. Sustainability. And, and it's also just, I think I like something a bit, there's something a bit more earthy about the the contact between the graphite on the page compared mm-hmm. to the flow of a ballpoint pen. You probably write slower, but I think that might actually make me a better writer as I write because you have just that tiny bit of extra time to think. Yeah. So I often write travel journals in um, pencil. And yeah, yeah I, I, I really like pencil. And what do you do with all your journals? Because I know I struggle with storage. Yeah, I so am what do you do? currently do you... struggling in storage at the moment. Well, yeah, they're cluttering up the shelf. I think... I am. I used. To, I mentioned being a hoarder. I'm not a hoarder anymore. My, my wife has done a good job of curing me of that. Yeah. But I think what I do on a regular basis go th- is go through some of my archives and just be, just be honest with myself and say I don't really need to keep that. Mm-hmm. It's not quality. It's not meaningful. It was a good exercise at the time, but I don't have everything I ever wrote at high school, so I don't really need to, need to keep everything I wrote as a writer. I keep the stuff I'm proud of or the stuff that might have meant something or stuff that I'm still using as a reference but just to be a little bit more astute about which stuff actually Mm. makes the archive folder I'm in the process of trying to archive my entire career into one box across writing and performing it's going to be tricky um oh that's a that's like how big's the box I may fail oh it's a big like it's a storage box so there's a a fairly a fairly decent size to it but once you factor in the fact that I've got a few manila folders and a few CDs and DVDs. And Are you going to scan everything? But why? Why can't you just? Oh, you have to do be some scanning involved. Stuff. Yeah, I worry that sooner or later those files will get corrupted. But then again, maybe that's yeah. a good thing. That it'd just be one less thing. I was hearing about a new. There's some new trend in decluttering where you think it's a very morbid approach, but you think 
how how much stuff can I get rid of now to save my relatives doing it when I die? <laughs> so hey, but that's you, that's a it's a good. I like the a, approach. Or what stuff do they not need to find when I die? Well, that's another approach. That's my too. that's my <laughs> way of thinking. Like mm, how big is that? Box? Let's just get rid of these clothes <laughs> and then that little yeah okay. Um, do you ever worry about people finding them though? Do you, are you precious about uh, your writing? Because no, I, I'm not too precious. There's some it? stuff that I look back on now. I certainly I was a torturous or a tortured teen who wrote appalling teenage romantic songs and <laughs> or songs of heartbreak and and uh, there was a my journalizing tends to be sort of intellectual and ideas and that sort of thing now. I don't really write dear diary style journal entries. Yeah. But there was a period when I was doing that and I look back on some of that stuff now and I just want to punch that guy. But yeah. um, at the same time, I do. it does occur to me what about when if I'm gone and people find it. And my but attitude don't you is reckon that's let them find gold. it. Yeah, yeah, let them find that stuff. Yeah. In our family, we found things that are after people have gone. You just go, I didn't know that. What a fascinating thing to find. I don't think there are any skeletons in there. Yeah, yeah. There might be, you know, declarations of love for women who I haven't spoken to for 20 years that oh, my just... wife will yeah. scoff at. But... Yeah, yeah, that's allowed. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but that would be, I think, the worst skeleton that could possibly come out of the closet. That's allowed. Um, okay, so I think we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back to chat about satire and screenwriting and my other random questions. But you're listening to Two Words with Taku, and I'm sitting with Gerard McCullough, who is comedian, writer, screenwriter, funny guy, nice guy. <laughs> um, and yeah, we'll be back just now. 